You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the Zabecast, congrats to the Lions. They finally won a game. But is celebrating like you just won the Super Bowl the best way to change the culture? I muse, you decide. Al Galdi picks up the phone today. We talk analytics, how to fix baseball, and the state of his beloved pro wrestling. All that plus Dumb and Dumber meet Jordan and Henrik. Your 45-minute uncensored Zabe Express is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Go! Oh, ho, ho. Here we go! Tuesday, December 7, 2021. Thank you for downloading and thank you for letting me know. Knock, knock, where's my Monday podcast? I messed up and entered it into the system wrong. I appreciate the emails and you can now go get the podcast if you missed it. Because it did not deliver at 4 a.m., which is what it does almost every single day. The Lions won a game. Hey, how about that? Dan Campbell has been working his ass off. The staff has been grinding. The players have been grinding. They're actually 8-4 and four against the spread, which could cut a couple different ways. You could say, well, they're not that bad. Look, they're 8-4 and four against the spread, the Lions, this year. The other way you could look at it is, oh, yeah, the odds makers think they really, really suck. So, yeah, even though they have not sucked as bad as the odds makers think, their opinion of you is pretty low. Anyhow, after the win, which was gifted by one of the more ridiculous defensive formations ever, the mood in the locker room, as you might expect, was joyous. I'm proud of you would be a major understatement. Gentlemen, that's the way to just fight one more time. And it pays dividends. You know what we did? We found a way to win the day when we had to do it. We found a way. And, man, we'll talk about the game, but all that later. But let me tell you something, man. Defense, we put you in some hard spots. We put you in some hard spots, and you responded. You responded. Offense, man, we were doing some things. We kind of hit a lull, and when we needed it, we came back. We came out early. Yeah. And you don't do what we had to do at the end of the game where you're throwing it that much without your own line protection. Yeah. This has been a long time coming. This is what makes it great, man. You know what? It's what makes it hard to by the way. But it's also what makes it great. It's hard to win in this league, man. 
It's hard, but that's what makes it that much more special. I'm so proud of you guys, all right? Man, let's not forget these families over here that we were representing today. Hey, hey, I just want to say that was a hell of a game. We played complimentary football all game, and we stayed in there. Hey, but I want to give the, uh, I want to give this game ball to Coach. Uh, Coach, okay, look, I'm not here to rain on anyone's parade, but I want to ask a legitimate question. Is there a way for a coach of a losing-ass team, oh, 10-1, with a losing ass franchise to strike a less than we won the Super Bowl tone after a win like this? Or would it come off as, hey, uh, hey, coach, read the room. We're really happy we finally won a fucking game. Is there a way to do that? Would it make any difference? What if the coach said, fellas, great win. You hung in there, you, 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 you kept fighting, and we won the game. That's one. I didn't come here to win two or three or four games a year, so we got to keep getting better. So let's go get rested up, look forward to next week, and try to make it two. Keep working, man. I'm proud of you. Bring it in on two. Team on two. Or two or three. You've never been in a locker room, have you? Shut up. I know what it's like. Really? Anyway, I don't know if that would matter. Part of me thinks maybe a coach should set that tone. I wonder if there's any Belichick videos of him really over-the-top rah-rahing it like this. I know I've seen some post-game Belichick videos, and he'll, he'll give a nice little oomph speech, but nothing quite to that degree. Don't get me wrong either. I love the look-ins to this sacred cave of men and warriors that we get from NFL films, and really we get from the teams themselves because they film it. They bleep out the naughty words, and they make sure that Zeke Moat, or no, wait, not Zeke Moat, who was the Vikings type? Visante Shanko. <laughs> Visante Shanko. They make sure that his Shanko is not visible in the video they put out. But, uh, yeah, they, the, the teams put it out. I, I love it. I understand the struggle amongst these men to try to win games. But, Jesus, it's one game. You're now 1-10 and 1. Oh, by the way. Tom Brady still doesn't suck. What the hell? Tom Brady has 35 total touchdowns this year. That is more than these teams have touchdowns. Green Bay, Baltimore, Cleveland, Seattle, Miami, Las Vegas, Washington, Denver, New York Jets, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Carolina, Chicago, Detroit, Jacksonville, New York Giants, and Houston. He leads the league in passing yards. He leads the league in passing touchdowns. He is in his 22nd NFL season. He is 44 years old. And he remains devilishly handsome. I have to once again say, what if, dot, 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 what if someday we find out, yeah, a little more help than we thought. I know the NFL tests for a lot of things. And I know that his body doesn't really show like, oh, look how big he's gotten. I know that he likes to eat avocado ice cream for being super low inflammatory. I totally respect Brady. I think what he's doing is effing amazing. I think... 
there's a pie slice of it that is, hey, the NFL doesn't let you touch quarterbacks anymore. That makes it really easy for the great ones like him to play the game. But part of me says what he's doing is so crazy, out of step with all historical expectations by age. I have to leave a little spot on the shelf open for, oh, yeah, down the road. We'll see about that. Speaking of old guys, kudos next week, assuming nothing crazy happens. Andrew Whitworth, left tackle for the Los Angeles Rams on Monday night, will start a game at 40. His wife, lovely wife, posted a picture with him uh, at an em- in front of the empty uh, L.A., well, not Coliseum, but in front of the SoFi Stadium. And she says, Monday night will be the first, he'll be the first to start a tackle at 40 years old. He will never promote himself, but we can because he deserves it. Aw. Now that's a girl who is ride or die right there. 40 years old playing left tackle. We are starting to break the boundaries and break the usual expectations of how old guys can be and compete with the best in the world. Speaking of old guys, Tiger Woods, not likely to play golf on the PGA Tour anytime immediately and says he at best is going to pick and choose his spots along the way. He was seen hitting drivers down in Albany. That'd be Albany, Bahamas. (laughs) Uh, while not playing in the Hero World Challenge. There was some video of him, and you know what? Driver swing looked all right. It's so funny to watch a guy swing and go, "Eh, can I see anything there? Does it look bad? Does it look like he's favoring it? You don't really know until you see the numbers, what his ball speed is, club head speed, and you also don't know until he can say, well, I can hit 50 balls without having to take a break or without being in total pain or... I need to hit 100, or I need to... These guys, these tour guys, and especially Tiger Woods, the amount of practice shots they hit would absolutely blow your mind. You think, you know, like, oh, no, I know they practice a lot. They hit a lot of balls. Oh, no. It would make your knees buckle. And that's what Tiger did, and this is why a lot of us said, hey, you know, the fact that he has that connection to Anthony Galea and possible HGH, possible steroid use, we can't prove it, had to be a factor in him winning all these tournaments because he could practice longer and harder than just about everybody else. Of course, he also had the focus and he had the give a shit and the desire to do that, but without some extra oomph, might not have been possible. And again, I don't know if he did anything that was illegal, never tested positive, But there's troubling connections there. That's all I'm saying. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. 
Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, time to talk to a guy we haven't heard from in a long time. Oh, son of a bitch. That's Goldie's music. Technically, Stone Cold's music. There has never been anyone quite like the Texas Rattlesnake. And with that, we say hello. Al Goldie has picked up the phone on a Tuesday. What's up, Al? What's up, my friend? How are you? I'm doing good. Where uh, where am I catching you at this particular moment right now? Let's see. I'm driving to pick up my four-year-old son and one-year-old daughter from Grandma's house. Oh, my God. Well... Daddy duty. Daddy duty. I'm glad I caught you. So much to cover. Andy was on with me yesterday talking about the Turge firing. I got to get your take because you are an actual alum. Did he get done dirty? No, I don't think he did. And in fact, the indications, very interestingly, are that he more quit than he was fired, which I know normally you hear, well, a guy stepped down mid-season. There's no way that he did that, like, on his own accord. But... What people are saying is that this was more Turgeon's call, and that does make sense from this standpoint. I mean, if you're Maryland, why would you extend him and then fire him two days before the Big Ten opener? Like, that's a bad look. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. So this is really strange. Like, the timing, I don't think you can make a big enough deal about the timing. Two days before the Big Ten opener, you know, Maryland had not been great so far this season, but if you watch Turgeon's postgame press conferences, it's not like he sounded, you know, despondent or sounded like someone who was on the verge of quitting or felt like his job was in jeopardy. I mean, he got this extension last April. It's still funny, Zabe. It reminds me now of the phony Donovan McNabb extension that he got from Washington. Oh, God, ago, yeah. Where it's like it meant nothing. The extension right. meant absolutely nothing. So, you know, I don't think people are, like, furious that he's gone, but I think the mechanics of this are awfully peculiar. Yeah. Uh, Are you happy overall as an alum or or not? Are you pissed off? I'm definitely not pissed off. I mean, look, there was a lack of big wins, a lack of high achievement with him over 10-plus seasons. I mean, he's the classic guy of he was good enough to not get fired until now, I guess maybe. But he was never good enough. He was never good enough to make you feel great about things. You know, he, he was like a middle-of-the-road quarterback where maybe he gets you to the playoffs, but you never win a game, that kind of a thing. And so you can do better. You can also do worse. The onus is on them to do better. But, you know, it had been 10-plus years, and the results were what they were. And when one of the principal reasons that people put forth for keeping a guy is, well, you can do worse, well, that's not, that's not a very big endorsement. You know, like, okay, you can do worse, fine. He's not the worst in his profession, but – does he allow you to excel? And uh, Maryland did not excel with Turgeon. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. Good enough to not get fired until now. That I'm going to make into a successories poster. 
<laughs> I mean, that is my, what a beautiful sentiment that is. Don't we all inspire to be just that? <laughs> Good enough to not get fired well until now. They finally figured it out. Oh, well. He'll get hired somewhere else. The way it's going in college sports now, holy crap. I mean, the Mario Cristobal thing is also yeah. bonkers. Eight million to buy him out at Oregon. Eight million down the drain uh, for the guy they whacked at Miami. Uh, his name escapes me at the moment. And then eight million in salary. It's just nuts. Money upon money upon money. It's like a cat chasing its tail. Yeah, and I mean, if you put the two programs side by side, right, last 15 years, I mean, there's no debate. Oregon's been the better program. Oregon's got Nike money, and yet Cristobal leaves Oregon for Miami. That mm-hmm. part of that, I think, is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, you're a man of analytics. By the way, the Al Galdi podcast available, Succeeding Wildly, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to download it. Uh, he covers the D.C. sports area better than anyone that I know, this side of Sheehan. In fact, better than Sheehan, for that matter. And you talk to Kevin all the time. That said, um, you're a man of analytics. And I think of you often whenever I see something that is supposedly analytic-driven, quote-unquote. These coaches in the NFL have gotten drunk on their analytics. They're doing things that I think are indefensible from a strategic standpoint. What is your thought about the current state of NFL coaches going for it, not just on fourth down, but going for two to win games outright like Harbaugh. So I think the two-point conversion thing is so interesting because – so the two-point conversion has been in the NFL for years now. You would think that the league as a whole would be getting better and better at two-point conversions. Are they? Like the league – no, and that's what's so interesting about what's it. What's it at le- globally? Do you know the number? Uh, it's it's still less than 50%, at least by the last things that so I it's saw. it's like 40s, mid-40s, I think, 45? Yeah, like 40s, maybe even upper 40s, but it's still not a 50% proposition. Right. Like on a global scale, if you can convert more than 50% of the time, it makes sense to do it. Now, obviously, context is always a part of it, but the league isn't getting better at two-point conversion <laughs> attempts. It's still pretty mediocre at it, whereas you know the league over time gets better at just about everything else. Like, you know, field goal kicking is a great example of that. So... You know, until you can get to a point to where you feel really good about going for two, I think that has to always enter into the equation of, you know, this is a less than 50 percent proposition by and large. And so just the general thing of, well, if you just hit 50 percent of the time, going for two makes sense as opposed to kicking for the one. It's not as simple as that. And obviously you're talking you're talking about going for two right away. There was a period where Tomlin did that. As a matter yeah. of, I'm going to play the odds. I don't think he right. does that anymore. No, he stopped doing that because it didn't work out. You know, because as we've seen, running plays in the red zone is a lot different than running plays outside the red zone. Like, it's hard to put right. the ball in, even when you're up close like that. And so teams don't convert on these two-point conversion attempts with nearly the frequency that you would think. You would think it would be a pretty simple or at least an increasingly improving proposition and it isn't. You probably saw when Washington got its two-point conversion a few games ago now, that was the first successful two-point conversion for Washington in years. I think it had been 12 consecutive non-successful two-point conversion attempts. That doesn't make a lot of sense, right? I mean, no team should go through a stretch like that. And yet Washington had. It's, it's not the layup that I think people thought yeah. that it would be. How would you feel about Campbell going for it on fourth and less than a yard? 
deep in his own territory with a whole four minutes left in the game. I thought that was nuts because if you're going to risk possibly losing the game, which if you don't get it, they're in field goal range already to take the lead, then you better take three knees after you convert it if you win that bet. That was not the case. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and look, and you know, they're terrible. So, like, again, it's like it's context and are you good? You know, like if you have a specific play against a specific defense that you just love, that you feel great about, and the circumstance arises, then, yeah, go ahead and do something like that. So I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what they had going for them. But, you know, you, you look at it and, yeah, I mean, going forward in minus territory like that is definitely a risk. You know, by and large, though, I think teams – Teams are better now at converting on fourth downs. Like I think the league is better at that, and I think we're seeing more and more that it's not like this uh, unbelievable risk that you take to go forward on fourth down. Like you can right. go forward on fourth and two, fourth and four, and have success and keep drives going. But yeah, you always—it's—it's ne- it's never just like I—I I always hate the straw man's argument that, that people make. I'm like, oh, you can't just go by the analytics. Analytics never say to blindly do anything. Like, context always matters. Right. Circumstance always matters. You don't just blindly <laughs> abide by some edict, some ethos when it comes to going forward on right. this stuff. Right. It's, it's, it's an additional data point. It's not the yeah. uh, automatic thing. You still have to make right. the decision to do it. Um, I bet there's a lot of buzz, excitement about Washington now, the football team with this four in a row. I'll say Heineke is not going anywhere, which is going to make for a very interesting conversation this winter, right? No doubt. Uh, You know, our team may not have a name, but the team does have a winning streak, which is nice to see. The Heineke thing is fascinating because he's making so many people look so wrong. Like, Washington signed him a year ago this week to the practice squad for him to be the quarantine quarterback. He initially, (laughs) when he was on the active roster, was the number three quarterback. He was behind Steven Montez. Washington didn't even have Heineke as a number two quarterback during his initial time on the active roster. And now here we are a year later, and he's got this team, as of now, in the number six seed spot in the NFC. I mean, it's such an unlikely thing, right? Undrafted free agent, lack of arm strength, everything else. But he is playing well. He's flawed, but he's someone who has tremendous mobility, tremendous escapability. I know people get on him for the accuracy. He's got a completion percentage over the last four games of well above 70%. I know completion percentage is in everything, but it's not nothing either. And he really has forced his way into the conversation. It's still more likely than unlikely that he's not, you know, like a true franchise quarterback. We get that. But you certainly have found yourself at least a really good backup and maybe more. Like maybe Washington has found that bridge guy. And so the quote-unquote franchise guy is found. Well, I think there's actually two levels. I think there's franchise QB, and then there's QB1. And I'm not sure he's even a QB1. A QB1 would be someone like Kirk Cousins, who's having a really good statistical year, but for a lot of different reasons, the record isn't, you know, showing up to match it. And, you know, he's, of course, the target of all the uh, the hate up there in Minnesota. But, uh, yeah, Heineke is going to be interesting. So a year ago, he was the quarantine quarterback. That's hilarious. The break seal in case you need somebody to play quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he makes his debut in relief of Dwayne Haskins and Dwayne's final stand, that uh, horrendous game against the Panthers, after which he got cut the next day. Like, none of this was ever supposed to happen. He starts the Bucs game. He basically is given a token shot at the starting job this offseason, but it was never really a true competition with him and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, Fitzpatrick was supposed to be the guy, and then incredibly, Fitzpatrick gets hurt in the first half of the first game, 
And Heineke's been the guy ever since. And the other thing that's uh, notable about Heineke, too, is so he hasn't played a lot in his NFL career, but he has a lengthy injury history. He's been brittle. He's gotten hurt a lot. He's holding up. He put on like 10 to 15 pounds of mass during the offseason. And knock on wood, you know, he's taken some shots. He took plenty of shots from Max Crosby on Sunday, but the body is holding up. He's posting week in and week out. He's not even popping up on entry reports. So he's got that going for him, too. What is the official Al Galdi stance on the college football playoff, both this year's Final Four and where they're seated, who's going to play who, and then your preferred path into the future for possible expansion? Yeah, so I think the four teams, the right four teams, were arrived at on Sunday. I think I'm like most people. I want an expanded playoffs. I think four is good. I think eight would be great. I think think eight would be great. What would your eight be? I say five automatics to the conference champions, two at large, and one dedicated seat for a group of five every year. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, assuming we're not going to have any more, you know, anarchy in terms of conference shuffling and the, the current conference structure oh. is going to remain intact. Oh, there will be I, chaos. Come on now. You know the chaos is not done. Yeah, well, then if that's the case, I mean, at some point, I think you have to say, maybe just take the best eight teams and forget about this conference stuff and this conference championship stuff and just, you know, go with kind of an open seating of oh, who boy. are the best eight teams in the sport. But Why? Why that, that would include multiple members of the SEC, and you know I how know. Why you know how the rest of the country <laughs> would cotton to that. <laughs> I know. I know Brian Kelly, but still, that's the way that <laughs> that's, that may be the best thing for the sport, so we'll see. Have you ever faked an accent? I probably have at some point. I can't <laughs> tell you when or why. When you met your wife uh, for the first time and met her family, did you have to fake a Pittsburgh accent? <laughs> no. Is I, there a I've Pittsburgh done, accent? Yeah, there definitely is. I've done one as in a mocking way, like okay. making fun of the way people in Pittsburgh talk, but I've never done it to like fit in. I can't say that, <laughs> thank God. Yeah. All right. So uh, so it, it, is the Final Four as they've arranged it now to your liking? I've heard some yeah. people bellyache about Oh, they shouldn't have jumped Alabama above Michigan. Now Michigan's got to play two SEC teams. I'm like, people, it's a TV show, the college football playoff, as it currently exists. They're not going to play a repeat of the game you just saw Saturday, which is Georgia-Alabama again. It's bad enough they're probably going to meet in the title game. They're not going to do that. Yeah, and I also... I'm pretty sure that seeding historically in a college football playoff, you know, and historically, I mean, it only goes back a few years, but it really doesn't mean that much. Like, it's just about the best four. People get kind of sucked into who's the one, who's the two, who's the three, who's the four. It's like just it's the it's the top four teams. And I think beyond that, you're fine. I don't think people need to get uh, seduced by that too yeah. much. Top four is very subjective. I think Alabama is a really Solid play, minus 13.5. And I think Georgia is the lock of the century, minus 7 against Michigan. But I've been known to be wrong before. So please gamble well, with caution. I think that makes sense, though, because, I mean, look, Michigan, what Michigan just did is great and impressive and everything else. But is this really what Michigan is this season? Like, is this truly Michigan? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm with that. I could see Michigan coming back down to earth. Yeah. All that. Uh, baseball front, how worried are you about this thing? getting ugly this winter and going deep into the spring training Uh, i wouldn't say that worried uh everything you read seems to suggest that the expectation is that games will not be missed but of course that can change my biggest worry is this you know baseball has some real issues that it needs to fix if you're going to go through a labor stoppage and you're now into one 
then you need to make sure that you don't do like a Band-Aid CBA, that the real issues at the core of the sports problems are addressed with this CBA. I would much rather than miss games but fix the issues of, you know, pace of play, time of game, et cetera, than not miss games but just sort of patch up what's going on and not really address uh, what baseball is dealing with right now. Baseball's got to really confront some things. The sports skews old. The games are long. The games are increasingly boring, and I say that as a baseball fan. And the sport has got to get its act together. It's lost a lot of national prominence. It still does well on a local level, but nationally, you know, it's becoming more and more like a niche sport, and, and that's not good. The, the, the sport can be better than that, and I think there are some fundamental things that need to be addressed. Would you do something radical? We need more balls in play. There's no question about that. Would you do something radical to help nudge the game that direction, like lowering the mound a couple inches or gasp, make it 60 feet, eight inches, not six inches, and just see what it does? Well, I'm open to anything, but personally, and I'm I'm probably in the minority on this, I don't think the balls in play thing is as big of a deal as it's made out to be. Why not? I think... Because I think the bigger issue is the games are just too long. Uh, it's a real problem that games routinely go three and a well, half they're, hours. They're too slow. Right. Like so the I pacing. Think they need to fix that. Okay. Yeah, they got they got to fix that. So you got I would say you can't step out of the box. Yes. Like well, literally, you know unless you get stung by a uh, a bunch of bees, you literally yeah. you literally cannot step out of the box. Well, what's what's funny is that's actually a rule. You're supposed to have one foot in the box at all times, and they don't enforce it. The umpires never enforce it. It's a joke. And it doesn't matter because the pitchers are taking even longer themselves. 100%. And that's why, to me, you do need a pitch clock. That's the big change that I want to see. I want to see them install a pitch clock. The players will pitch a fit. Max Scherzer threw a tantrum a few years ago when even the idea of a pitch clock was brought up. But uh, to me, you need that because – if you look at why games today are so much longer than games of yesteryear, the number one thing is the time between yeah. pitches, especially with these relievers. They take forever to throw pitches. I'm for a pitch clock in baseball. I'm for a shot clock in golf, which is my uh, baby sport that I love so much. I don't give a nice. shit on tour. We're here for a good time, not a long time. Let's go. Hit the ball, find it. Hit the ball, find it. Exactly. I like that. I'm with you. All right. Yeah. Lastly, what's happening in wrestling right now? So the wrestling business is in probably the best place it's been in in 20 years from a standpoint of you have a legitimate number two for the first time since WCW went out of business in 2001. A number two promotion, which is AEW, right? Shad Khan's venture. Yeah, his his son, Tony Khan, runs it. Uh, AEW has major television network exposure on TNT and TBS. AEW has... Uh, major financial backing in the Khan family. And AEW has loaded up on its talent roster. Now, I don't think AEW is, like, perfect. I, I think there are things about it that could be better. Like, but the point is... Give me one well, thing. I, I, think, I, I think the booking is not great. I, I don't think the uh, the storytelling is the best. There are things that don't make sense, that the, the AEW product can be a little sloppy. But there's a lot that's good about AEW. There's an energy to it. There's a youth to it. There's a ton of athleticism with it. And honestly, it's not WWE. WWE has become so corporate and like so homogenized. It's a tough watch right now. AEW has this freshness, this sort of like cool yeah. factor that WWE hasn't had in a long time. And so just the fact that there is this legit number two 
has been great to see. I mean, this is what every wrestling fan has wanted since WCW went out of business. So it's been a lot of fun. Why did Vince decide to get so bland and corporate? Uh, that's a great question. You know, Vince is an odd guy. So, you know, obviously, initially it was done for sponsorship reasons. Right. WWE got kind of raunchy in the late 90s, toned things down when WCW went out of business. Okay, fine. But it's like WWE has kept going in this direction. WWE also has this thing of, like, we know best. And so, it, it, it uh, you know, they force scripts on wrestlers. Like, nothing you see is off the cuff. And some of the best stuff in pro wrestling is stuff that's off the cuff. Everything is a script. And so, when you'll see wrestlers doing, like, interviews – you, you can tell they're like reciting memorized lines. So there's they're no not, shoots anymore. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Ugh. And and it's just, it's too buttoned up. Like WWE's got to relax a little bit. And it's not. The other thing too is Vince is now over 70. And yet he still runs the show. And to me, it's like an Al Davis situation. You know, the product and the, the industry in a lot of ways has passed Vince by. Like, Vince is a very good businessman, but he's not very good creatively. Like, his ideas aren't very good. He's not a big sports fan. So, like, a lot of sports-like things that you can do with wrestling, Vince never does. Uh, so, it's it's the, the product for WWE. I mean, it's, and it's been the case for decades now. I mean, this isn't new. It's, it's just this, like, very G-rated, not very funny, and like I said, not very cool thing. There was a time, late 90s, when you had parties on college campuses watching Raw and Nitro because wrestling was that cool, quote wow. unquote, you would never see that now. I mean, <laughs> now it's like geared towards, you know, 12 year olds. And it's like there's a lack of cool factor to WWE. That's a real problem. Yeah. There was also no internet back then. So you went out to have a party to watch television. Right. <laughs> yeah, although I mean, late '90s, you had the internet, so and that's actually Bare- some, one of the barely, things that helped the fuel things. Barely internet. You were in. You were at uh, Maryland. What years? Ninety-seven to oh one. How was your internet back then? Oh, it was sporadic, but we had it. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I remember it was like groundbreaking. Like, oh my god, the internet! I can go on ESPN.com. This is fabulous. <laughs> I can get a box score. Yay! How yeah, was it? No. I know. All right. The Al Galdi podcast. Get it. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Have a Merry Christmas with your two little ones. And it's always great to connect, Al. Thanks. Same to you, my friend. Thank you very much. There you go. We'll end on this. How do tour players end up hitting from the, quote, wrong tee box in a televised major professional tournament well it happened at the hero world challenge with henrik stenson and jordan spieth take a listen they they were the first group out so they were in last place the two of them heading into the sunday's final round and because it's on this you know very swank resort island in the bahamas there's not a lot of fans uh there's certainly not a lot of tour infrastructure the event is not an official pga tour event although there are world ranking points at stake here and uh, apparently there was no one to say, hey, by the way, the tee box is over here, not over there. There was a note in there, sort of, you know, every player gets a pamphlet before the round explaining certain things, local rules, out of bounds this, notes on that, possible temporary whatevers. But they didn't read it, and they went to the wrong tee box. Here they are. <laughs> this is a dangerous game to play when you got someone happy and someone mad certain times off the green. 
Can you just explain what happened on 9, 17 or whatever hole we were Yeah, playing? yeah, I'm, I'm still not sure which way we played it, but um, yeah, we uh, we kept our heads, heads down after finishing out on hole number 8 and walked to the 9 tee box that we did on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and put the ball down and uh, hit some beautiful tee shots and then when we halfway down the hole, uh, or halfway down to the balls, uh, one of the rules officials came up and said, did you hit it off the right tee box? And we're like, well, yeah, I kind of, and then we looked back and we saw that there was another one forward and left, so obviously they, they switched things around and put 17 on the ninth tee box today, and nine was in a different place and we didn't pay attention, you know, being first out and just kind of motoring along and yeah, so it was just to go back and reload, and uh, but it, it was o it was only two shots each, so it wasn't a big deal, and um, <laughs> and then we just kind of carried on from there. Have you ever heard about anything like this before, Jordan? Mm, I mean, I, personally, I've never experienced that before. Did you know? Uh, was there a sheet? Well, they said that. They said that in the scoring there was a sheet saying that there was a, a new yardage on number 17. But a there was tee box or something. But. but there's nothing about number 9 and, you know, 8 you go around the backside. And we just walk straight downwind. We think today would be the day you play the back tee on 9 and into the wind you play the up tee. And, yeah. What was your reaction when the official told you? Uh, I actually didn't think we were going to get penalized because it's a charity event, but then I realized it's, uh, it's, there's world ranking involved and all that. I think the frustrating part for us now is that every other group's going to be they're making sure to tell them, but for us they didn't. I mean, it, it obviously didn't matter for us, which is fortunate, I think, for those guys. My question was if we could just finish 19th and 20th and leave after 9th, yeah. but that wasn't an option either. He so did. He did. He asked him if we could just go to the airport, and I said, I'm down. And, um, was it quite yeah. an easy mistake to make? Or now you know about it, do you think, oh, that was a silly thing to do? What do you think? What do you I'm mean? a little offended by that because then you think I'm really stupid, apparently. <laughs> so, so it's like, uh, I think it was fairly easy to, to make. I mean, looking back at it, when we're coming up on 14 and you're looking down, yeah, you can see, see the tee boxes, but. I mean, well, there's play. two boards behind the tees, and the board is still originally behind the other 17. Yeah. And so you just see the two boards, and you assume that because there's a board on every tee box. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just off to the left a little bit, the up tee. So I guess we kind of got up there, and no, I, I teed up first, and it wasn't my tee. So then Henrik's telling, or Michael told me it's not my tee. Then Henrik hit, then I teed it up too far in front, and he told me to scoop back. <laughs> and so all in all, like, we were so focused quiet, on where quiet, we were teeing off. Now, now you really, you, you spoiled the whole thing. Now they'll be like, look at these guys. They don't know who's going to hit. Once they figured out who's hitting, one guy's trying to tee up in front, and then they both hit from the wrong tee box. So it's like, I guess we got what we deserved then in the end. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know why there was any officials ahead of the ninth tee box at that point when we were first off but um. let's just leave it a little note on the tee box would have been helpful and uh, i will note. make sure i tee it up on the right tee box in the future because i don't think i've ever done this before hopefully you haven't either no have a nice christmas everyone and we'll see you in the new year right? oh my god that's classic i love henrik stenson he is funny as shit that dry swedish humor right there a little note on the tee box yeah uh, dear golfers, this is not the tee box. I saw it. The, the, the tee box they hit from had the little cardboard boxes that said Hero World Challenge. And they had the microphones for the TV broadcast. But nobody was there to say, yeah, 
Should probably go somewhere else. I love the fact they're like, well, we're going to finish last anyway, so can we leave? <laughs> Always leave early. Right, Henrik? All right, that is a wrap for today. Thank you so much for downloading and being a loyal ZabeCast listener. If you would like five days of me every week and a little extra oomph on Fridays, subscribe. Go to zabe.com slash premium and find out how, and I appreciate your hard-earned $5 per month. Very much appreciated. Rate and review, spread the word, tell a friend, tell two enemies, and let's keep this thing going. Have yourself a great Tuesday, and we will see you next time.